You're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. Now here's your host, Chris McPherson. Yes, indeed. Welcome to another edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. I am Chris McPherson, joined alongside by my main man, Alex Smith, who, credit to you, you did a phenomenal job holding it down in Cincinnati. Unfortunately, the rest of the team could not do their part. But Just one of those games, C-Mac. It was. It was. It wasn't pretty whatsoever, but we have four more games here. The final quarter, the home stretch, and you can home figuratively and literally because of the fact that three of the final games are at the link, where the Eagles, up until that Green Bay game, played quite well in 2016. Right, and, and it's not like it's just games against, you know, like the AFC West or somebody like that. It's three division games, so no matter what the other circumstances are, you want to win those games. The fans want to win those games. Mm-hmm. All three of the division games are at home. Then you have the road game at Baltimore. Four games with a lot to prove for the Seagulls team. We'll see what happens. Indeed. So this week on the podcast, a fun interview yes. with running back, kick return specialist Kenyon Barner, phenomenal career at the University of Oregon, was drafted by the Carolina Panthers, came to Philadelphia, bounced back and forth between the roster and the practice squad, and this past offseason really honed his craft. You saw him physically get so much stronger, and it made a difference during the course of training camp. Wendell Smallwood had the quad injury. Mm-hmm. Barner was thrust into action. Ryan Matthews was battling the ankle injury. And Barner made the most of his opportunities and earned a spot on the 53-man roster. You hear that in sports all the time, when, whether it's baseball, football, when guys are first reporting back. He came back in great shape. He's in the best shape of his life. It's no joke with Kenyon Barner. It was like incredibly obvious from the moment you saw him that there was a noticeable difference in how he kind of built himself up. He's actually kind of been one of those under-the-radar, really solid players for the Eagles, both on offense and on special teams. All right, so we're going to have our interview with Kenyon Barner a little bit later, though. We're going to hear from his father, Gary. And during the interview with Kenyon, he talked about how his father took the family out of one of the most dangerous sections of Los Angeles when Kenyon was very young. So we wanted to have Gary on to talk about that from the time that he moved them out of that section of Los Angeles. So that's going to come up a little bit later in the podcast. But first, our interview with running back and kick return specialist, Kenyon Barner. What I love about your story is that you're someone who's persevered from being one of the most prolific backs in college. You're drafted late, probably later than you have expected. Bounce around, you start in Carolina, you made your way to Philadelphia, and you've carved out a role for yourself, and you've never given up, and you've battled through a bunch of adversity along the way. What would you say has been the biggest key to your success? Uh, God, man. Besides my family, And my friends, I have to say, God placing me in positions where I'm around good people, people giving me solid advice, because it's so easy, you know, as a human being to feel like you're deserving of something, to feel like a million different emotions, but to stay grounded, stay humble, continue to work, continue to grow. I give that all to my family and God keeping me level-headed and keeping me on the right path. What's the best advice that you've received along the way? Uh, Don't count your reps, make your reps count. My running back coach in college, Coach Campbell, told me that probably my sophomore year, and I've held on to that ever since. Because in this league, it's a lot of great players in this league. So when you get your reps, you make them count, you don't count them. C-Mac mentioned off the top your prolific college career that you had at Oregon. You end up being drafted in the sixth round. What was the draft process like on your end? (laughs) That was one of the most frustrating, happiest days of my life. Firstly, my agent, he told me, don't watch the draft. What do you do when someone tells you not to do something you do? (laughs) You gotta watch it, yeah. (laughs) So... I watched from day one to day three, sitting there with my family and a couple of my friends, 
but it was hard, you know, just constantly feel like you're being passed on, you know, see guys that you feel that you're better than to go before you. Coach Skip from Carolina called me, I think, in the third round of the draft. And I'm like, this is it. This is it. <laughs> He's like, hey, I'm just calling to check on you. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you know, yeah. what do you mean? So, I'm just waiting here, you know? It's like a boxing match. It's a 12-round heavyweight fight. You got to take blows, take blows, and eventually the knockout punch is going to come for you. So that's exactly what it was. Just sitting around waiting, just feeling down. And then once you hear that call, man, it's nothing that describes that feeling. You know, broke down, was in tears with my family. We're all just happy and elated that it happened. Did you use being a six-round pick as motivation, as fuel? I didn't need that as motivation. You know, I've always been a self-driven guy. I'm going back to playing NJB basketball. That's something that my father instilled in me as a very young guy. You know, if you need something or someone to motivate you, you're not too motivated. Who are your parents? Tell me about them. Gary Barner, Wilhelmina Barner, two of the best parents in the world. My mother and father have sacrificed so much for me to be where I am did everything in the power to make sure I had when they didn't have. My parents are extremely special to me and have, aside from God, are the reason why I'm here. Because without them taking the path that they did, moving us away from where they grew up and where I was born, things could have turned out a lot different had I not had the set of parents that I have. Where were you born? Born out in Linwood, California. All of my family's from South Central Los Angeles, the Nickerson Garden Projects. My dad moved us out of there early, but them growing up there, you see a lot of things, you hear a lot of things, and most guys don't make it out. You're either going to sell drugs, gang bang, go to jail, die, or sports. So for my dad to move all of us out, because I have five brothers and one sister, you know, it's a pretty big family. So he wanted a better life for us, moved us out, moved us as far away from the issues that he could. And, you know, without him and my mom and, you know, my family, like I said, things could have turned out a whole lot different. Where are you in terms of the pecking order? I of your am brothers? the baby, as they like You're to say. The baby? Yeah, okay. the baby. I like to think I'm the oldest in the bunch. I like to act like it, even though that may not be the case. So what were the lessons that your brothers and your sister were able to teach <laughs> along the way? You could talk about how your parents were able yeah. to shield you from a lot of things, but obviously your brothers and your sister. Because, well, I mean, growing up a lot of time, my parents were working. They didn't come home until 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night trying to make a way for us. So it was pretty much my brothers and my sister growing up. So what's the, what's the age difference? How much older my is my oldest yours? brother is 41. My closest brother in age is 31. Yeah, so there's big age gaps going on in between there. But, you know, we're all extremely close because all we had was each other growing up. So a lot of lessons, you know, learn from them, whether it was them teaching me or me just sitting back and learning from them and them not knowing that they're even teaching me, you know, learning from their mistakes, learning from their successes. So it was a lot, a lot of things that I learned growing up. So when did football come into the mix for you? When did you really start playing the game and getting into it? We played in the front yard. You know, my brothers would sneak me to the park. My mom would never let me play, (laughs) ever. She used to see me playing out in the front yard. "Uh Uh-uh, come in the house. What are you doing? Get out the street. You're too little. They used to sneak me out to the park. We'd play tackle football. But really, my neighbor, Janae Eddington, she convinced my mom to let me play football probably, I think that was sixth grade, seventh grade. Pop Warner prayed for the Marino Valley 49ers at the time. Me and my mom made a deal. If you get hurt, you're never playing again. <laughs> and mind you, it's football, so it, yeah. it's likely. She thought she thought she'd go win that bat. Yeah, she won. I got hurt. She let me finish the season, but she's like, no more. That's it. So my freshman year of high school, they started a football team, and I snuck and tried out. My dad knew, but we didn't tell my mom. Tried out, you know, made the team, went home, and mom was like, what are you doing home so late? Oh, <laughs> hanging out with my friends. A couple of days passed. And that's right. probably the worst answer you can actually right. give right, right. there. I mean, like, as uh, a kid, like, what am I supposed to say? Right. So yeah. um, a couple of days later, she asked me, I was like, yeah, I tried out for the football team and I made it. 
What? <laughs> so yeah, that's how that happened. But it was really freshman year of high school. So your dad didn't step in and come up with something like, oh, he's helping Absolutely me with stuff? Not. I mean, come on now. <laughs> Absolutely not. We all know as men who really runs the household. As men, we want to feel like we run it, but we all know the mother is the backbone of the family. So at what point was your mom finally okay with you she playing has football? She's never been okay with me playing football. To this day? To this day. My mom won't sit in a room and watch me play. If I come in the game, she'll leave the room. And she'll go back in the room and rewind it to see what happened. She's never been okay with it, but, you know, she supports me, obviously. Sure. But her fear... You Does know, she attend like, games? My mom doesn't fly at all. When I first got drafted to Carolina, she flew. And that was her first time flying, I think, since, like, 1990. She flew for me that one time. I told her, I was, okay, I'm good. You never have to do it again. So she'll watch, but she won't watch. She'll hear my brothers and my sister going crazy. Okay, what happened? Rewind it. So you get drafted to Carolina. Eventually, you end up in Philly. You're a West Coast guy, though. Is there a big difference? Is there a big difference in just, like, you know, the overall? Major difference. It's day and night, especially from a weather standpoint. You know, I tell guys all the time, I'm not a cold weather guy. So it'll be 60 degrees outside. I'll have on sweatpants, a sweatshirt, and a beanie. They're like, what are you doing? I'm from the West Coast. (laughs) What do you expect? You'll see some players out there in, like, negative 10-degree weather without wearing sleeves. Will you ever be one of those guys? (laughs) (laughs) I am not that guy, no. As a running back, it's hard to wear sleeves, but I will make it work. (laughs) It's day and night, just from the culture, you know, the environment, the attitudes of people, the different people that you come across. It's day and night. You know, West Coast is... Kind of real laid back over here on the East Coast. Everybody's kind of aggressive. You know, it's, it's not like in a bad way, but everybody has a purpose to what they're doing. California, everybody's, oh, hey, you know, it'll happen when it happens. Right. That type of attitude, yeah. you know. Have you noticed yourself changing at all being here a couple of years now? I think I've stayed the same. You know, obviously you get a different outlook on life and a different outlook just being in a different place. You see different things. You adapt to different things. And your perspective changes slightly, you know. So coming here... You know, I've gained a greater respect for blue-collar people because West Coast, you're not really around that. But you see how hard people work out here day in, day out. They're grinding, they're working, and you respect that. Whereas when you go back to the West Coast, it's kind of different. Was it a wake-up call for you when you were traded from Carolina yeah. to Philly? Just because at that point in time of my career, that was going into my second year, coming off of my rookie year, it's kind of like, okay, I made it. I'm here. But... There's not a day that goes by that they're not trying to replace you. And you have to understand that as a player. And you have to understand that the work never stops. The grind never stops. You have to constantly work because they're constantly trying to find somebody to replace you. And it's not a bad thing. That's just the nature of the business. And so for me, it was definitely a wake-up call. It was also a blessing in disguise because coming here under Chip, somebody familiar, it gave me my confidence back. He helped me along with Deuce grow and evolve into the player that I am today. So it was a wake-up call and a blessing at the same time. How difficult... Is it adjusting to life in the NFL because you had the stellar college career? Most guys who get drafted have these great college careers, and all of a sudden, boom, you're just dropped in a new city, new environment. Your six-round pick just trying to make the squad, and yet you have to get adjusted to so many different things. How difficult is that? Well, from a football standpoint, for me, I've been very fortunate, man, to be around a great group of guys no matter where I've been. So going back to Carolina, I was in a running back room with D'Angelo Williams, Mike Tobert, Jonathan Stewart. And then I get here, I'm around Deuce, I'm around, you know, Shady, I'm around Sproles, now Ryan. I've always been around a great group of guys who have always led me in the right direction and helped me avoid a lot of pits that a lot of guys fall in. So for me, I haven't had that much of a struggle from a football standpoint because I've had older guys to help guide me and understand the game, understand what's going on. 
But from, you know, a social life, it's a major adjustment because you go from being in college where everything is structured, everything. Your day is completely structured out from the time you wake up, you practice, study hall, school, back to study hall, night meetings, go home, do it all over again. Whereas once you get to the league, you got a lot of free time. And if you're not mentally prepared and mature enough to handle that free time, a lot of things can go bad. You know, it can go wrong because you won't capitalize on the time that's given to get better at your craft. Your offseason, this past one, was phenomenal from a workout standpoint. What either inspired you or what made you put in that extra effort to get your body ready for the rigors of this season? Wanting something better for myself. You know, not wanting to continue to do the same thing that I've done offseason after offseason after offseason going back to college. So I wanted something new. I wanted to be better for me. Not to say that what I had been doing wasn't working, but if you continue to do the same thing and expect different results insanity. So, you know, I just wanted to go home, do something different, put myself in a position that would enable me to go out and perform at the best of my abilities. And so that's exactly what I did. It wasn't anything that particularly made me like, oh, I should do this. It was just something that throughout the season, like you say, you have a lot of downtime to think. You go through things and that was something that I felt I needed to do and something that I would continue to do. Or is there someone who you reached out to yeah. at first? Or? I talked to, uh, well, for eating purposes, I reached out to Le'Veon Bell. Because I'm the type of guy, I've always been this way since I was a kid. I'm not a type of guy that's going to get jealous if I see you doing well or, oh, he shouldn't be doing No, I want to know. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to reach out. I'm not prideful at all. <laughs> you know, most guys won't do that. I'm not prideful whatsoever. I'm going to ask you. So I reached out to him on Instagram, sent him a message, gave him my number. He hit me back. We had a conversation. I'm like, man, I see your body changing. You know, what are you doing? What are you eating? What are you taking? What are you not doing? What are you not eating? Did that. And then from a workout standpoint, John Jones. I reached out to his trainer, who was training him at the time, Jordan Chavez, down in uh, Albuquerque. And I talked to him and told him what I wanted. We just all got together and, you know, made it happen. So take me through the eating habits. What did you have to change? What did you add? What's something that you miss now? I'm a big junk guy. (laughs) (laughs) I I think we all know a little bit about that. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I love sweets, man. Ice cream, cakes, candy, you know. I have a really bad habit with that. So that was something that I had to cut out and then just eating clean. Wait, wait, would you cut it out completely? No. (laughs) No. I was just at the dentist a couple weeks ago getting three (laughs) fillings. So I cut it off for a little bit, but then I fell right back into it. But I cut a lot of it out, man. Just eating clean, you know, understand what you're putting in your body, what your body needs and what your body doesn't need. So it was just really coming down to eliminating the things that your body doesn't eat, eating healthy, eating clean, you know, taking care of your body in order for your body to perform at maximum potential. So what's like a normal dinner for you? Now, in yeah. season? In season. In season? Yeah. <laughs> so like I said, I've fallen off yes. a little bit. So last night I had chipotle burrito with steak and chicken. After that, yeah, I had a honey bun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid that's what was before then. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah. No, um, but usually, you know, I'll take some food from here, whatever they have yeah. here for us. I try and do right. It's just hard because during the off season, you can cook. You can do all that. During season, once you get home, for me, I don't really want to do anything. Right. You know, I'm, I yeah. just want to lay on my couch, lounge around, and I really don't want to cook. But I can cook. I'm just lazy. What's your best meal? Grilled chicken. Make some homemade mashed potatoes with it from scratch. Cook some vegetables up and make some bread with it. In terms of the workout routine, mm-hmm. what was in the off season mm-hmm. a day like for you? I would wake up at probably eight o'clock, eat. From there, I go to the weight room, 
do, you know, roll out, do some little stuff, nothing major, then come right back at about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, get my lift in, eat at about 4.35, go run. After my run, go back to the weight room, work out for about another hour, and then after that, kind of roll out and then do some accessory stuff. And that was a typical day for like three months. Because I remember you'd posted a video of how much were you squatting? Like four? The last time I was out now, it was like 470. 470. And what were you doing before that? Probably, I think when I left here, it was 405 maybe. Okay. 405. So pretty pounds. Pretty big increase. Pretty big, pretty big increase. We got tested a lot for posting that video. (laughs) (laughs) Did you really? Oh my God. Yeah. Not surprised. Yeah. Not surprised. So we've talked a lot about the physical changes that you made coming to this year, but mentally, mm-hmm. what was your mindset coming back here this year? Not taking a day for granted, knowing that I'm blessed to be in a position that I'm in, and knowing that the road ahead was going to be a lot harder than what I've been through, just because as you get older, things don't get easier, you know, especially in this league. As you get older and age, they look at you a little bit different, so you have to work twice as hard to better yourself and improve yourself. So mentally, took myself to a different place, understanding where I am, understanding what's it about and knowing what my coaches wanted from me. That was the biggest thing, just knowing, having a talk with Deuce, knowing what he wanted from me mentally, that helped out a lot. But just knowing that, you know, nothing is guaranteed, nothing is given. Don't take anything for granted because you could be here one day, go on the next. Well, Kenyon Barner, thank you very much for joining us here on this edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. Thanks for having me. We want to tell all of you Eagles fans out there that Eagles Fantasy Camp is the ultimate football experience for any Eagles fan. Learn the X's and O's of the game from Eagles greats like John Runyon, Chad Lewis, among many others, as you live out your football dreams at Lincoln Financial Field. Learn more today at eaglesfantasycamp.com. And with the holidays fast approaching, this could be the perfect gift for that Eagles fan in your life. So there's our interview with Kenyon Barner. Great personality, a lot of fun inside the locker room. And he was one of those players coming into this season because he had the connection with Chip Kelly. And not that that was everything, obviously, for him. Mm -hmm. But there are some people who thought maybe, oh, is he going to fit in this new scheme, this new offensive attack? And Again, he dedicated himself in the offseason, didn't want to be satisfied with someone who just got to the NFL, and players work hard to get to where they are here, but it was great to see that he made the most of the opportunities and continuing to do so here uh, late in the season. Yeah, you know, coming into the year, as you kind of hit on C-Mac, you didn't really know where he would fit in with that running back rotation with Ryan Matthews and Darren Sproles. He just drafted Wendell Smallwood, so, you know, where does he fit in? Was he just kind of a system guy with Chip Kelly, you know, here with the Eagles and at Oregon? But He's proven that that's certainly not the case. He's as hard of a worker as there is in this Eagles locker room, but certainly a fun guy to get to know here in this podcast. So fun interview there with Kenyon Barner. Now we're going to have a powerful conversation with Kenyon's father, Gary, who shares a tale of what it's like to be a father of a football player, not even just an NFL player, but a football player, and to experience the game through his eyes. So here's our interview now with Kenyon Barner's father, Gary. Thank you very much, first of all, for joining us here on the podcast. And our first question for you is, what are some of your favorite memories of Kenyon as a child? Kenyon has always been a good listening kid. I remember when he was a very, very little bitty boy. I would take him with me a lot because he was the baby and the other kids was in school. And I would kind of look for him and he would always, he has this thing that he does. He stoops down on his feet, but like with his butt touching the ground, and he just looks up and he listens. He's always been a real good listener, and he's the same way now. When you talk to him, he goes totally silent. 
and he listens to everything you say. And it doesn't matter your age, even with kids. He's really, really, really good with all the kids in the family, all the kids. And I think they kind of look forward to it because they make sure when he's home and he's around the family, they make sure that they get their portion of attention because he still does that same thing. He listens well. He's a real helpful guy. He's always wanted to be of assistance no matter how young he was. And he's still that way. I think we have to be careful when we say someone is in need or something is wrong with somebody. If we say something like that, he'll sit quiet and then he'll try and find a way to find out who it is because he want to help somebody. Those are two of the things that really sticks out with me about Kenyon. Gary, how did you instill that in him, especially as he's becoming a prominent athlete in high school and college on his way to the pros and receiving all this attention, all these accolades, people wanting time with him, wanting different things from him. How did you instill that ability for him to be patient with others and to be able to listen no matter who it is that was coming up to him? I wish I could honestly tell you. I really wish that I could take ownership in that side of his life. We really believe in prayer in his family. And Kenyon being the baby of the family, we moved our kids away from the inner city when Kenyon was a year old. And with him being the baby, we've always talked to our kids. We've always took out the time to talk to these kids and try to explain to these kids why they shouldn't and why they should. And we spent a lot of time with them in school, going to the schools and sitting and talking to them. I think part of it maybe is because the way we were raised as young kids, back when we were children, my wife and I, it was a different time with different parenting. And with our parents, we didn't have the liberty to speak out until they were finished speaking to us. And so maybe I could attribute some of that to the way we were raised with elderly parents are holding on to some of our raising in our home because we were alone out in the desert. When we moved to the desert, we had no family here. We had no cousins, nobody. It was just us, and it still is. And so we had to depend on each other. And I think with him being the baby and him seeing that, he took a liking to it. My wife and kids always say that I always try to help people. When they were little bitty kids, we could be on the freeway or something, and if I saw somebody broke down, I was going to stop. Or if I seen a hungry person, I was going to feed them. And still to this day, if someone is outside begging, I won't give them cash. I don't want them to buy drugs or liquor. I'll still tell them, come on in, I'll buy you whatever you want to eat. So that's probably some of what he got it from, along with being a real praying family. You know, we try and pray and lead them in the right direction. You mentioned the decision to move the family away from the inner city into a different environment. How exactly, you know, did that decision come to be and how beneficial was that for not just Kenyon, but for the whole family? I grew up in the inner city and I've seen a lot growing up in the inner city. I worked as a gang counselor in the city of Los Angeles from like 1980 to 1988. And my area of concentration was the worst area in the city of Los Angeles. We were the largest non-law enforcement agency in the nation. and so. Because I worked for Youth Gang Services, every homicide in my area of concentration, my team had to respond to. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of dead kids. And I lost a nephew named Kenyon. There are five other Kenyans in our family. The first Kenyon, while I was working gangs, I felt like I didn't spend enough time with him. 
he was 14 years old and he was walking home from school and a guy murdered him. And so because I've seen so much, I told my wife that I wanted to give our kids a chance. And so I wanted to move, not that I thought our kids were better or worse or less or none of that. I just knew I didn't want to see my kids die at a very early age. And I knew in the, where we lived, the chances were greater there than here because when we came here, this was a beautiful place. I mean, the grass was green and houses were beautiful. And it, it was such a change. It even felt like to me that the air was fresher. When we moved here, my wife and I, we used to do New Year's Eve dinner parties. And one of the things that impressed us most, when we would have our family, our guests over for New Year's Eve, I can remember so vividly, I told my mother one year, I said, Mama, at 12 o'clock, we're going to go outside. And we went outside at 12 o'clock. There was not one gunshot. And that was what we were looking for. And so because I worked gangs and I seen the struggling kids' lives, not because they were all bad kids, but because they were caught up in a place that their parents weren't able to do with me and my wife, you know, God had blessed us to do, those kids were stuck. We had an opportunity to get our kids out, and so we got our kids out. And the change was so drastic that not that our kids are better than anybody because we don't think they're better, but neither are they worse, but all of them balanced. We have boys, and they're doing good. You know, we have Kenyon, who God blessed to make it to the pros, who wasn't even a football player. We have Martel, who is a fitness trainer. We have Keandre, who is in between jobs, but who is a good kid. We have Maisha. She works in the corporate department of Verizon. So it was really, really, really beneficial for us to get our kids here because they weren't subjected to trying to make it home from school without being murdered or being able to go to school, whereas kids in the inner city, if they live in a certain geographical area and there's only two schools there, and there's rival gangs from the gang in their immediate neighborhood, whether they belong to the gang or not, but because they're young and because they live there, the other kids who are not thinking sensibly look at them like, well, you live on that street, you're a gang member. We were able to get our kids out of that because when we got here, it was nothing but dirt. There was not a gang problem to the level of what it is in the inner city. So it was very beneficial for us to move our kids here, so much so that we're being blessed with an interview by the Eagles. I don't think we would have had that had we stayed in the inner city. Gary, what was your family's approach to athletics? I know Kenyon's mother did not want him to play football. You kind of had to sweep it under the rug, kind of hide the fact that he was playing football. How were athletics viewed? Were they viewed as a gateway to success, whether it was college or the pros? Was it just something to balance them out? How, how did the family handle the success that Kenyon was having as an athlete? I still tell people this to this day, and this is the honest to God truth. I don't even know for certain that it has dawned on me that our son is in the NFL. I don't know that it has because there's a kid who grew up like 10 houses from us, Tyron Smith, who plays for Dallas. I've seen him and I've seen his parents. And I don't know why we don't get into the NFL like a lot of parents do, or it doesn't take the same kind of effect. We don't want Kenyon's life to be looked at like this is our life. We did some big old great thing to get him there because we didn't. Sports was a means of keeping our kids active and away from the idle thoughts. 
When I grew up as a child, my mother used to always say, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. And I didn't want our kids to sit idle. My wife and I both worked. My wife worked in Orange County, which was a long drive because we live in Riverside. And on any given day of the week, my wife would have to drive an hour, two hours to get home. I had a store in Long Beach. I couldn't just shut the store down because I was running the store most times by myself. And it would take me probably the same length of time to get home. And so we knew that our kids would spend a lot of time alone. And so we involved them in things that would keep them busy so that they wouldn't have all of this idle time. And this right here, every now and then I'll go and talk to some kids at a school or something. My son had a coach by the name of Charles Matthews when he was playing AAU basketball. And I would go and I would sit and I would listen to these coaches. I always admired coaches because I always sit there. A coach has to be a great person to deal with all of the personalities and all of the attitudes and all of that he deals with. And so Coach Matthews would say to the kids, sports is a life lesson. He would say to the kids, if I can teach you to watch a man or run a play or defend a guy, then I can teach you to operate a computer or I can teach you to rebuild an engine. If I could teach you the life lesson through sports that you could carry with you for the rest of your life, no matter what you're doing, then of a great assistance in showing you how to be productive in society, take care of yourself, help somebody along the way, and stay out of trouble. So sports for us as parents mainly was to try and keep our kids busy, teach them responsibility, and then to have a whole lot of fun with our kids. Because through sports, man, we had so much fun with our kids. And it's also not only taught our kids, but it's taught me as a father and my wife as a mother. It taught us some things. It taught us how to become better managers of time. It taught us how to teach better lessons in a different way, to teach lessons to our children. Because through some of those men who were coaches, we were able to experience different kinds of people, different kinds of men, different kinds of teaching. And we incorporated those things in our own home and it turned out pretty good. Gary, how much pride do you feel when you see your son Kenyon play on Sundays in the NFL? Do you get nervous watching him play? What's the feeling actually watching your son play? I do. My wife doesn't fly. Number one, she doesn't fly. When he was in college, we drove everywhere. She only flew one time in his career when he was in Carolina. She flew one time. So she doesn't fly. So she, when we would go to his games, she would put her head down and not even stand up. And now we'll be downstairs because the kids will come over a lot of times and we'll watch it together. And the minute she see him going on the field, she go upstairs and she stays there until she hear us say something about he's okay or he didn't get hurt. As for me, this is what happens every Sunday. I go to church. I keep my phone in my hand because Kenyon is going to call right before the game every Sunday. And we have prayer every Sunday. And we pray for the safety of him and the team and the opposing team and their flight and everyone having to do anything with the flight and the coaches and everyone having to do anything with any aspect of that game. We pray. 
And then after we pray, he goes and we watch the game. And every time, whether it be Kenyon or Sproles or Wendell or Ryan, whenever they touch the ball, I pray. Because I've seen my son, October the 9th, 2010, take a hit that I'll never forget. And I pray for those running backs because those running backs play a position that is the most dangerous position on the field. When he went to high school, there was no football team there. They didn't even have football. And so he played flag football, and they had never won anything. And when he got there, he played flag. He always wanted to play this game of football. And he scored 39 touchdowns and flag. And so I was in the gym one day, and a parent came in. She said, you know, they're starting football because of your son. I said, no, they're not starting football because of my son, because he doesn't play football. And so I went up to the school, and I talked to the athletic director. And I said, you guys are starting a football team? He said, yeah. He said, Gary, we had such a good season with your son, and he can run so fast. We had a meeting with 30 kids, and they want to play. And so they played eight men. I said that to say this. When he was playing eight man, I was so afraid of him being hurt that on Thursday, I would start worrying. And this particular Thursday, I was riding to leave our home and get to his school, which is on the northeast end of town. I was going over the freeway overpass, and I was praying like I always do. And I was saying, Lord God, I just pray that you don't let my son get hurt. I don't want to see him get hurt. And I had never seen him hurt. I'd seen him get dizzy when he played one year of junior All-American. And I was praying. And while I was praying, something came over me and said, your son will never be seriously injured in this game. He will be dinged up, but he will never seriously be injured. And I took that as the Lord speaking to me. And so I live by that. I don't believe he'll ever seriously be hurt. I believe he'll get dinged up because it's football. And so my fears are not as great as they used to be. I tell you when I get relieved, when I see the level of competition that he's playing, like on Sundays, once I see him touch the ball and I see him run, then I become comfortable. I say, okay, he can, he's okay. He can handle it. They're not trying to kill him. For me, my level of fear is not as great. For my wife, I don't think it's ever gotten any better. Gary, you're a remarkable man. I couldn't fathom from that perspective of what it's like to watch your son go through what he goes through on a weekly basis and not be able to do anything. You're basically sitting and watching and praying that each and every week he will come out okay. Gary, thank you very much for taking the time to share your stories of Kenyon and explain the remarkable circumstances that you and your wife went through to be able to take your children out of one of the roughest neighborhoods in the country and to provide the life for them that you have and being able to reap the rewards of that today. It's a joy. It's a blessing, man. You know, so many kids that wish they could get there. And for some reason, God just said, here, Kenyon, you can go. That's a blessing. These teams are all the kids in the world, are all the kids in football. For some reason, Calvary Chapel, Notre Dame High School, the University of Oregon, Carolina Panthers, and the Eagles, out of all the kids that play, said, let's give him a chance. You can't beat that man. You can't beat that. That's beyond my understanding. That has to be God touching all of those men and those owners and saying, hey, there's a little guy out there named Kenyon Barner. Give him a shot. 
And then those remarkable men go home and talk to those families and say, hey, there's a little kid named Kenyon. We're going to give him a shot. We thank him for that. We appreciate that. But to Kenyon's credit, he's made the most of the opportunity. Because some people may not get the opportunity, but at least he's made the most of it here. Well, I'm, I'm glad you see it that way, man. Thank you so much. Gary Barner, the father of Kenyon Barner, thank you very much for joining us here on the Eagles Insider Podcast. Thanks, Gary. Okay, you guys have a Merry Christmas, you and your family. As I told Gary at the end of the interview, a lot of respect and admiration for what he's done for his family. And when you see someone's children become as successful and as good-natured as they are, it starts from somewhere and typically starts with the parents. So credit to Gary for what he's been able to develop with Kenyon and, and his family there. The one anecdote that Gary shared was after he moved the family out of Los Angeles, was on New Year's Eve mm-hmm. going out at midnight right. and you don't hear a gunshot. Yeah. And I'm it's like, I've, I've never experienced that. But how many people in this country do have to deal with stuff like that? So yeah. it's, it's a different world. But I think that's been one of the best parts about us doing these podcasts is that we get to kind of see inside what these players have been through. So on that note, we are going to close up shop for another edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. Again, thank you very much for all the comments and the ratings. If you haven't already, please do so, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you download and consume our podcasts. We will be back with another episode next week. But if there's something that you want to hear, because we're starting to tinker around with ideas of what to do in the off season, uh, yes. it's starting to become that time, the final month of the year. So if there's something that you want to hear down the line, please let us know. But until then, for Alex Smith, I'm Chris McPherson. Thank you very much for listening to another edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. We will be back next week.